don't be greedy and be humble and uh, and just always be ready to pounce when something comes up. So do your homework and make sure you're in a financial good position and never be complacent. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we continue the conversation with real estate professional of Horizon Property Alliance, Michael Knights. We delve into his strategy behind property accumulation, what project he is working on at the moment, some tips on how to get the best property deals returning 20% plus through the government and much, much more. There was a period when Knights had accumulated around 30 properties and he delves into his strategy behind it. I'd buy little renovators, little weekend renovators. So I'd buy, and I'd, I'd also buy off the public trust. And so, and so I, I won a contract with the housing commission and they were selling all their, um, selling all their housing commission houses. And so, so I was selling them to investors and I was having an opportunity to buy them myself. And we we're willing and dealing, buying and selling and, and adding value along with growth of the market. And then I'd buy splitter blocks and little little subdivisions and things like that. So small fish, I would buy all the little cheapies, cheapies I could get, houses that people didn't want to buy because they didn't like the area. I could see things happening in the area. So having good market knowledge, knowing what the council's doing, infrastructure's happening. You know, I bought a property where they rezoned it all and I was able to put you know, nine townhouses on it. And then I was able to get them sold and funded by the government and on sell them. So I didn't have to borrow any money to build nine townhouses, things like that. Just understanding what's available, what government initiatives are there. You really got to know, understand the market and what's happening all around you. So I would, I was a, obviously an expert in the area. I was always in touch with everything going on. Market knowledge is the most important part about investing. Knights explains a scenario where he would end up selling property back to the government and how deep his knowledge was. So many years ago, the government were doing a lot of low-cost housing. They're looking for land and acquiring blocks, and they wanted us wanted developers to to build housing for the low um, income earners and just for housing emissions. So they were selling a lot of the stuff off, but then they needed to rebuy back in again. So knowing what I mean, for example, in Kippering, we knew the railway was going to come there one day. So they rezoned a lot of land, so we're from residential to unit size. And so, as an agent or a buyer's agent or you know developers. They need to know that sort of stuff. And so for people starting out in development or buying properties or local real estate agents, you need to be really well informed with what's actually happening now and what could happen in the future. I could drive around in the state in any area and, and know just by driving through it what's going to happen in that area because, you know, just from the knowledge of understanding the market, I could see houses that were going to come on the market before anyone knew they were going to come on the market. So... I don't know whether it was just a sixth sense or not, but you could drive up and down the street, knock on a door, and you could get it on the market. And then that might, then you could you could cut that up and do whatever you want to do with it. So, not necessarily for me, but for developers. So I was working for that's how it would work out. And then the sellers would be over the moon because they get a great price for it as well. So yeah, just understanding what you really got to know know what you're doing in that particular and specialize in an area and really know it well. 
Knights delves into the difficulty he found in being an agent whilst at the same time investing in property. I mainly focused on the small ones and the ones I thought had good capital gain or potential to add value. I wasn't really into anything new at that time, but I did do a, a few small developments, the six packs and four packs and that myself as well, uh, and a, a nine pack that the government funded and unsold. Uh, but mainly I would just be amongst a lot of all, a bit of everything. So most of the time I worked as a traditional agent or as an investor to buy and hold to accumulate wealth for the long term. So sort of collecting property rather than selling them. So, but yeah, every, it was just sometimes I'd do a little reno on sale, but mostly I'd collect property and add value was sort of my little niche. So more of an investor rather than a developer. Then as I got more equity and a, and a bit more experience in the market changed, I started doing a few more developments. So it was sort of a bit of both really because honestly, when you're doing that sort of volume, you don't really have the time to do the whole lot. You've got to decide you're in the market to be an agent and then or to get out of the market and be a developer. It's really difficult to do both properly at that top at, with the volume I was doing because you know, you've got to keep the service up. And so a lot of the times, sites would come on that I would on sell. Yeah, or just get on the market and, and pass on to small-time developers or developers to do their own projects. It was really impossible to do both properly. You have to focus 110% in fo- on everything you do as best you can. Otherwise, you can make mistakes in that game. Being an agent and investing in properties at the same time might have been what led to his burnout. But having a team around him has been very helpful. It was too hard to do everything properly and, and you can run yourself too thin. And I look back now, it's probably one of the main reasons why I did burn out in the 40s. But I had um, had three, two admin girls and I had uh, two or three part-time or a couple of full-time buyers agents. When I say buyers agents, they were the, still working for the seller, but they were running the buyers around. So my job initially as an agent at the time, I would just do appraisals all day every day. That was it. Negotiate the sale, as, and my guys that work for me were also really good at negotiating the sale. And they would be just running buys and showing properties. Because back in the day, you'd put them in your car and you meet them at houses and you drive them around and show them as much as you could. These days, it's all changed. But so we would, and then that would be also lead generating, making calls and following up as well. So the girls would do all the admin processing and the marketing, and I would do the closing of the sales and the market appraisals, along with helping the two boys and girls who worked for me at the time. Uh, you know, follow up buyers. So we had a whole process. We had a checklist and a system for everything. Uh, yeah, so, and that was sort of copied off similarly to what some of the Americans would do. So they were the main ones that inspired me at that time. Technology has come such a long way, especially within the last 10 years. Knights gives us the opinion on whether the traditional strategies of real estate can still work in the modern day. I think the, the modern technology is handy to save time, but I really think the old-fashioned way of doing real estate is coming back into play. I, I haven't done any letterbox drops you know, for a long time now, but direct marketing and, and, and picking up the phone, really, if you send someone a letter, direct market or an email, whatever, I, th- I still think picking up the phone, having that conversation really is the best way to win business face-to-face um you know networking and meeting people and relationship building listening and asking questions rather than to sell spruik it's all about relationships and referrals you do need a combination of absolutely everything to generate the inquiry whether it be a buyer or a seller but finding a niche and what you're really good at and then creating a team that you can do a bit of leverage with um but yeah you know face-to-face talking and communicating really for me is the old school way of doing it but i think that's that's really the best way. You just got to take action, make the call, meet people, 
get to know them. They like you, trust you, and then you can win business. In, and not not tr- stop selling and just form relationships. You know, it's all about relationship building. He explains how he was able to build up his profile when he moved to the Sunshine Coast. I sort of bought a profile. So when I say that is at the time, back in the day, you, you and even now, um, you can market yourself on every billboard, buy four pages in the paper. You can do your letterbox drops. You can do a combination of TV, radio, the whole lot. So coming up fairly cashed up, I bought a profile and I wrote big business in the first nine months. So I did it you know, over a million dollars in the first 12 months. Coming, coming from going from say one place and starting from scratch, and you know when you look at your return on investment, it worked. It, and I was everyone said, "Who's this guy? Come out of nowhere!" And he's he smashed it. Um, it. Not intentionally to do it that way. I just had no. I knew I, I knew of no other way to do it. I just knew one way to do it, and that was do everything. And that's what I did. After the catastrophic events in two thousand eight. Knights was looking at other potential business ventures. I was on TV. I was on the back of buses. I was on the radio. I was on full pages of the paper. I was absolutely everywhere. So if I spent 100k that year, it generated 900k. That was a pretty good return of my investment. You know, so for me, I, that's what worked, and then it just flowed from there. And then I, that was in 2007 because I took six months off, and I did that in 2007. Then I got smashed in 2008 GFC, having all this property, um, and then I. I kept trading through it. It's still doing really good business, but I was starting to get really tired, that pressure, financial pressure on you at the same time. And I bought a couple of other businesses, a couple of 24-hour gyms as well. And I thought, oh, I can buy five of these and I can retire on that and I can do property developments. And having other businesses with other profit centers were also good at the time. So I was diversifying into all sorts of stuff, you know? Yeah, interesting. That was, a, that was, another, that was another learning curve, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. We find out about what happened to the gyms that Knights bought and what he learned from that experience. I kept one of them. Um, but look, at the moment, I mean, you, you've got the 24 industry where, oh, the 24 hour gym industry where they were just great little cash cows and, you know, good profit centers. And, and then they become an oversaturated business and you have to really work them hard. So as a solid investor, I would, I would train and maintain my manager. But if you drop the ball on those things now, you really got to work at a 24 hour gym really hard to make them make money or be in a really good location. And you've got to spend a lot of time marketing and working them to make nowhere near as much as you used to make because it's a, it's a basically a discount gym model now and then you've got the new franchises coming in and they're on every corner. So, there's an oversaturation factor and knowing when to get out at the right time was important too. So, luckily, I didn't buy a lot of them because, you know, one of them doesn't make any money so I had to sell that one away, you know, whereas some guys had bought a half a dozen, 10 of them, well, they ended up going broke. So, you really got to understand what you're really good at and and not be complacent about it, what you're into at the time and, and focus on what you're the best at and keep that passion alive, you know. To keep going in business, you need to find something you're passionate about or keeps you motivated. We learn what that is for nights. So at the moment, what's what's really um, got me so excited is uh, the NDIS, um, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, they're rolling out disabled housing, um, particularly in Southeast Queensland. And one of the main things that excites me the most is that we're giving back to the community. We're helping get disabled um, people out of the hospital system and all the nursing homes and helping them integrate into the community. So we're actually doing something really nice. But in saying that as well, the return on an investment's you know, 15 to 20% net on your on your income. So, you know, if you do a, you buy a property and you get 7 8% gross, you think you're doing pretty well. What if you were getting 15 to 20% net on your investment and having the government pay the rent? 
support the business and you're giving something back to the community at the same time. So there's a win-win for the participants in the disabled community. There's a win for all the people looking after them, they have a job. The win for the construction industry because it's generating lots of uh, construction, lots of jobs from carpenters down to the drivers and the carers and all the providers that look after the participants. And the investors who are taking the risk to build these properties are getting a massive return on their investment. And the government's um, helping all these people get out of the system into integrating the community. So the whole whole structure of the NDIS is, is such an amazing organisation and it, it resonates with my you know, giving back as well as well as having a great time doing something that's completely brand new and pioneering a whole brand new process and system into the community. So we've created a whole brand new model that we're rolling out now, which has just got me so excited. Like it's just unbelievable opportunity for everyone involved. The NDIS projects have been on the news in recent times and the importance of projects are immense. How did Knights learn about it? Probably two and a half years ago, I spoke to a couple of um, providers who were in the allied health industry. And they said, Mike, where they've asked us to create this model moving forward for the disabled community or people with uh, mental issues and mainly dis- disabled. And, and they said, you So I started investigating it. I sold them a couple of normal houses and they said, well, we're really going to invest all their money into this business because we're involved in the industry and we can see how it's going to help you know, disabled people out. And I just started to investigate further and further. And the more I read about it, the more I got into it, the more it basically consumed me and the more I got excited about it because it was just it just resonated with me that everyone it's like a everybody wins and you're doing something really good to give back as well and you're taking a bit of a gamble absolutely but the risk for return is really good and it's a safe positive cash flow investment once you fill the property up so it was just I just it, it just basically got my mojo back. It was something completely brand new. So I've last 12, 18 months has been creating a whole brand new business model around positive cash flow property. And that's one of the um, products that I've included in that particular opportunity, you know. So, you know, I can do a duplex project and make a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars for a client. I can build a dual key or whatever, it's positive cash flow in a prime location that's not in an area that's not going to be devalued and then I can offer an NDIS product for say 550000 that's going to rent for 100 k a year. The rent's paid by the government and we're going to get people out of hospital beds and give them a life again, you know. So there's a win-win for everybody in what we do now. The NDIS project is creating homes that provide a lot of benefits for its residents and Knights explains some of them. Think of a four-bedroom home, a low-set four-bedroom home or a five-set home that's decked out to a level of disability for people who need full 24-hour care. Okay, so we, we spec a place out, we get it certified, we find an area that's going to be in demand where there's lots of participants. So a participant is a disabled person and we build it and we get it approved and we fill it up and you get paid on a per room basis. So on average, it's about $25,000 a room for a fully accessible tenant. Now, part of that $25,000 is paid by the government and the other part of it is a contribution from the tenant's pension. So now that a lot of these participants and families are living in uh, like really old bomby nursing homes or boarding houses that aren't kept up to standard or churches and they're not supported correctly. And for example, if you're a participant and you're in a hospital, it's going to cost the government a million dollars a year to keep you in there. And you might be, you know, in your 20s and you're hanging out with people in their 80s and, and you really can't do much at all and it's sending you crazy. So this is about integrating these people into the community, helping them get a normal life again, and they can put four or five or two or three people in a house. 
and then you have your own personal care and look after you. The family can come and go. The houses are decked out like a five-star you know, holiday house, close to all the major infrastructure. They've got drivers to pick them up and take them out to the beach and to parks and integrate. And there's just a really good arrangement where, you know, there's so many people involved in the whole process that, you know, the poor participants who have been neglected for that long, they're like this neglected community, can actually get amongst it again, you know? So, you know, you're an investor and you want to return on your investment, but you also want to give back to the community where everybody wins. So the whole process is quite structured. It's very involved and it's taken a long time to get to where it's at now, but it's just a good thing to do to be involved in. So can anyone actually apply to do this or something that you need guidance from people like yourself to do? We've been working on our SDA licensing arrangement, which we've had to reapply for just this, this um, since July. So that's that's so it's a specialist disability accommodation. So you have we were a provider for disability accommodation. So there's providers out there that just specialise in care. And they're all different levels of different allied health professionals, and then there's SDA providers who specialise in accommodation and housing. And there's two trenches of payment. So one payment comes for accommodation and the other trench of payment comes for care. So we're strictly looking after the accommodation and we do that in conjunction in collaboration with providers. And those providers have got contracts or agreements with um, disabled participants. And then there's care and the care planners, they coordinate like concierge, they look after the the participant with all the other allied health professionals and they make application for the funding. And between the, the SDA provider and the care provider, we both work in collaboration to, to fill our properties up on behalf of the investor. And then as a licensed agent, licensed um, registered uh, SDA holder, we um, then apply for the funding on behalf of the participant to live in that property and then the investor gets paid. Coming up after the break, we'll delve further into Michael Knight's National Disability Insurance Scheme Project or NDIS. These ones haven't been recognised very well by the valuers and the banks yet because there's no real track record and we're all pioneering this process. How you learned the business? I learned lots from people who are actually in the business actually doing it and just asking questions and you know working with them. And that's next. I'm Tyne Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. These projects are helping a lot of people with disabilities and creating a home for them so that they can get the care they need. Not shares what is in it for the investors. Say for example, you build a $550,000 full turnkey, um, you get paid on a per room basis. So you might have $100,000 return if you're averaging $25,000 a room. We'll, we'll property manage that once the, once the room's full. We'll match make the, the participants so we want to try and make sure that the participants are all similar in age and interests so they're all because they're all technically flatmates and that all the families get on really well and then we coordinate that there with the providers who are going to employ and employ the carers to come in and look after those participants on a 24-hour basis and so the little businesses work in the house. So we that's what we do pretty well manage the property, build it, get it certified, sure that it's all correct to the right specifications, have it all approved through the NDIS, that gets all certified and stamped off and then a certifier looks at it at the end and make sure it's habitable and then we'll fill those rooms up 
in collaboration with all the providers and we've incentivized everyone so that you know some of these providers are um, non-for-profit so we've got uh, an ongoing arrangement with them to ensure they get looked after the participants get looked after and the whole model flows really well so it allows for longevity in the business and the investor still gets a 14 or 15 percent return on their money the ndis project homes are still new to the market and Knights knows it is only a matter of time before they are properly recognised. Any property with a high with a high return, there is some risk. These ones haven't been recognised very well by the valuers and the banks yet, because there's no real track record, and we're all pioneering this process. There are quite a few guys having a bit of a play in this space, so there will be will be a valuation shortfall sometimes when these things get built, because they're built to a standard of disability level. Okay, so we just had one that was built up in that's about to be built up in Toowoomba, and it, it was forty thousand dollars out. But remembering that these things are spec'd up, you know, five star finish with you know disabled um, facilities in the house, four bedrooms with four en suites, stone benches, um, remote control windows and doors, and all sorts of fancy stuff like that. It only come forty thousand dollars out. So it's not that the property is not worth that; it's just they haven't been recognised yet by the banks and the valuers. But in saying that, if you're getting 15% return on your investment and this is a long-term play, that outweighs any of the, the capital gain that you may have got over the long 20-year period. It's a 20-year rollout. Knights can see the potential in these homes, but there are some risks the clients need to be aware of. You get your money back in the first 12, 18 months, two years. You know, So um, we are saying to our investors, look, you really need to be um, using your extra, have a 10 to 20% extra equity or cash to put in just in case there's a valuation shortfall. So trying to be as transparent as possible. Now, after 12 months or so, once there's a, when there's a bit of a track record and these things are producing really good income, I'm sure the banks and the valuers then reassess it and they'll be valued differently. But because everyone's brand new and pioneering it, the banks aren't uh, recognising at this stage, particularly with you know tightening of their lending policies. So, you know, as long as every investor knows, and we we share that in our feasibility anyway, what the pros and cons are with borrowing the money, and they they're entering into that. We've got a rollout process as well, which, which ensures them to get a tenant or get tenants in the property prior to them cutting the block. So that way, their money's protected, their assets protected, and it doesn't affect their cash flow. So we've got a whole unique system on rollout for that too, to to safeguard everyone involved in the whole process. Where is Knights mainly focusing his attention with these properties at the moment? I'm based in southeast Queensland. We're focusing here at the moment, but we have get we are receiving a lot of inquiry from Sydney and Melbourne. Um, but thinking of it as you know, most cost-effective region where Queensland's got in most cases the cheapest land, knowing that it's not a cyclic type of investment, um, we're rolling Queensland out at the moment. South Australia's pretty strong. Western Australia is quite strong. Sydney's land content is pretty high. Melbourne Regional, they're looking at doing a bit in there. But yeah, so but it's still very, very brand new and most people are pioneering it. And when I say to my clients and friends that are buying into this, look, we're, we're all in this together. This is like a partnership and there'll be some bumps in the road, but brace yourself because it's pretty exciting. But be aware that, you know, this is a government program and it's not, not as straightforward as it looks. But the returns on investment are outrageously good if, you can, if we can pull it off as, as well as what we hope to do over the next 12, 18 months. He wanted to learn from people who were already in the business that were doing it rather than just talking about it. I used to go to all the seminars and all those wealth creation workshops and I just really got, there was lots of ideas there and it was more of a, an eye-opener on how not to do it in a roundabout way because a lot of the stuff was just a money grab and they wanted me to 
pay all this money for courses and in education. In saying that, there were some good ideas that were there, but really the, the way I encourage people to learn now is just to hang out with people that are actually doing it successfully, you know, make friends with them. And luckily for me, I was in the business. So I learned lots from people who were actually in the business actually doing it and just asking questions and, you know, working with them either to sell their properties that they've created and built or help helping them find properties. So for a new person who wants to be a property developer, I would say, you know, go and work, just do part-time work experience with developers, just get to know them, have coffee with them and just hang out with them. And, you know, they say hang out with the five most successful people you can find. And if you've got a passion for property, hang out with people who are walking the talk. So, you know, I, I have done lots of different courses, etc. But one one lady in particular, I mentioned her name when I first started, she, she was friends with every single agent that possibly know of everywhere. Everyone knew this lady, little short lady. And she'd buy and sell will and deal. She was the most six, successful little property developer I knew. And, and one of the things that she did, she would make sure she'd walk down the main street and have coffee and talk to every agent possible that was any good. And whenever a property would come up that was a good deal, she would get given first preference. She knew the market. She'd make a decision really quickly. She was always on the money. And she made her money by just being really well connected. You know, so she'd wheel and deal, buy and sell. She was always a small-time developer. She'd buy big property, small property, do them up, sell them, sell divisions, all sorts of stuff like that. That would probably be the first tip I would give where I learned a lot from that. And another friend of mine who owns has a massive portfolio, he would go out and wine and dine bank managers and valuers and people who, who would look after, who would see lots of receiverships and bankruptcies and he would pick up lots and lots of deals that way. Knights tells us about his friend who was able to get the best deals and the best value in the market. If they were sold or provided him with a really good deal, he'd pay for trips over to New Zealand or holidays for them. He'd bribe them in, in, in the right way. Yeah, in the right way. Like he would reward them basically and, and you know, he wouldn't give them money up front to do a deal obviously but if they gave him a really good deal, he would look after them. You know, so he was really well connected, and look, you can get as much knowledge and experience and learn every trick in the book. But most of the time, you know, people don't take action. But in most times, it's about being in the right place at the right time, making yourself available in the right place at the right time, making sure all your finances are in place so that you can jump on a good opportunity, and being very, very well connected. Like I've got developers who are super successful who just entrust me when a good one comes up, I just ring them up. We can either do a JV with them. Now, they could spend all the time every day looking for stock, looking for land, but they come to me first because I'm connected and I can't do them all. So, I just ring them up and they're ready to go and they do deals. So, it's all about having putting yourself out there and just putting it, finding every connection possible that's going to give you an opportunity to buy. What does Knights like to read about in his limited spare time? I like listening, read, reading articles that you send out. Or like this, I'm not going to name one in particular, but there's so much information out there. Um, little short success stories and case studies really resonate with me. So you know, and and just hanging out with the right people. There's so much real estate information out there that I get given and sent so much stuff every day. And I just rather than read a really long book. Unless it's outstanding, I just like little snippets here and there, and then it'll it'll lead me into a rabbit hole, and I look at more information and I go into some other information. And yeah, you start to probe, and and it just goes from one to the other. I get right involved in that, you know. So I just where was this going to take me? So yeah, I sort of get involved, but I did I did listen to lots of motivational and um, 
all sorts of, you know, all sorts of stuff back in the day. And it was more about keeping you motivated. You know, I always had a mentor and a life coach and, and was able to talk to other successful people, more about hanging around with the right people, you know. There's so much stuff on on the internet, on Facebook, and there's heaps of stuff everywhere you want to go. Like as long as you keep your mind active and you're reading positive things that interest you, that you that's your hobby, and hang around and network with those type of organizations, that's just as much information that's that's more proactive than just reading the books. It's about taking action for me. We hear some great words of wisdom that Knight still carries with him to this very day. I'd say look, always leave a little bit for the next guy. You know, um, do your research, surround yourself with, you know, the right type of people that you resonate with, Um, you know, and, you know, one of the things that um, sometimes there's a time limit to your friends as well, you know, so you might have your best friends for life, but then there's people who might be your friends, but they're actually acquaintances and they might not resonate with you and you move at a different level. It's hard to, to keep looking for new people to hang out with. So leave a little bit for someone else. Don't be greedy and be humble and uh, and just always be ready to pounce when something comes up. So do your homework and make sure you're in a financially good position and never be complacent. I'd say complacency in our industry, whether you're a developer or whatever industry and it doesn't matter, complacency is the biggest killer in our life. You know? It really is. When you're complacent, you drop the ball, things happen in your life and and things can can go wrong really, really quickly when you're not on the ball. It is pivotal that you are able to look back on certain experiences and learn from them. Knights tells us some of these experiences. It's 2019 now, right? No, um, 2008 was the GSC. I, I would have I would have sold a lot more my property a lot more quickly because uh, in Queensland, particularly, we we still haven't really recovered from 2008 to 2012 mini booms. So, and I would have restructured the type of properties I bought and and made them all positive cash flow. So, I mean, when you're making lots of money, you worry about the tax you're paying. I've got no problem about paying tax. I mean, obviously, no one wants to pay tax, but I'd rather be making the cash flow that have the properties stand alone and pay for themselves than than try and save a bit of tax. So positive cash flow and sell. Make sure you've got enough leverage to um, be in a position that if something went wrong in your life and you had to give up work tomorrow, that your properties would pay themselves off and you wouldn't need to work to fund them and you wouldn't actually have to sell them as far as my property investment portfolio goes. So positive cash flow was king without question. No matter how much you earn or, or what type of tax you pay, still still go positive. Positive rules the world really. Cash is king. Knights is always looking forward to and is excited about what is coming up in the near future. I like doing lots of little projects and a, and a few joint ventures with um, other, other like-minded um, developers or agents. So for me, small boutique stuff and collecting positive cash flow properties, my agenda. I've got, a, I've done a few developments and subdivisions and things like that. But I think that the, knowing what the markets, no, no one really knows what's happening in the market. You know, if you're doing um, little boutique stuff and you can do a few of them at any one time, it's a much, much safer way to go. So, and and because that's what I, I like to sell and introduce to people, I've got to walk the talk. So for me, it's just a much safer way of get in, get out, hold and collect and, you know, they stand alone investments that give you positive cash flow. So, me, it's all about positive cash flow and deciding to keep some and sell some, just wheeling and dealing in the small boutique market suits me better. 
How much of your success is due to your skill and intelligence and hard work and how much of it is because of luck? I'd say more more than anything is just um, really getting a, a thorough understanding on your niche market that you want to focus on. So market knowledge is extremely important. Hanging around the right people being connected and yes, there is some luck along the way. And I'll say with the luck is being maybe in the right place at the right time and I got lucky, but being ready to buy when one comes up. So that's actually making yourself ready to buy and you know jumping when one comes in. And then obviously understanding the market. We don't have control of booms and busts, but you're going to have a bit of luck when the market booms as well. So you need to really have a combination of everything. But if you're not doing anything, nothing's going to change. So taking action is equally as important as, as having luck or having education. You know, So you have all the education in the world and you might get some luck in the market because you've bought the property at the right time before a boom. But if you didn't actually do anything about it, you're not going to get any opportunity. Yeah, I'd say it's a combination. Look, I did a couple of times I got damn lucky. And, you know, the market went through the roof, you know, and other times I was unlucky. But if I didn't have a crack at getting involved in the market, it wouldn't learn, you know, you've got to stretch yourself, get out of your comfort zone. Really having the right advisors around you and, ha- and having them structured correctly is the key and then taking action. Try not to, you know, and look, as much as you want to have, I, look, I'm not, I don't think you really should go to a one-stop shop. Now, try and get external independent advisors so that they can all debate together around a table of what's right for you. They've all got your back rather than a one-stop shop because technically if you go to a one-stop shop, you're a number, they're all on a KPI, they want to sell you something and they want to cut of the cut of the pie. So I try and – I've got – all my advisors are all external and they're all in the market and they're all walking the talk. They're all experts at what they do and they love property. And that's what I'm not really into the shares. I'm into property. So I hang out, with, hang out with those guys. If you want to find out more about the NDIS project, here's where to get more information. Well, on my website, there's a bit of a briefing, some videos, and they can, they can also um, download a full feasibility on the whole process from start to finish. And that's at horizonpropertyalliance.com.au. Or they can call me direct anytime and just download my call me off the system. So Horizon Property Alliance is where most of the information is there. Um, there's all sorts of stuff we're collecting and adding to it. There's a fact, just heaps and heaps of information on our website, loads of it. But easiest way is to just, you know, get on the phone, have a chat to me and I can load, send you as much information as possible. Like I've got a huge book of info to share. Thank you to Michael Knights, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about his journey, then visit our website at propertyinvestory.com.au.